Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. We are excited again to have Kathy Gallowitz with us. And uh, many of you remember her from a previous episode on the Jolly podcast. And we talked a lot about your book, Beyond Thank You for Your Service, which was awesome. But I really wanted to have you even come back and talk a little bit more about your own journey as a lieutenant colonel in the military, which you know, you don't see a lot of women lieutenant colonels around. Um, so I'm hoping you can share a little bit about your own journey. And then we can spend some time just talking about some of the things you're doing these days. Oh, well, thank you, Melissa, so much for having me back. And thank you for being a veteran champion and caring about the needs of the military and broadcasting and cultivating interest and and doing your good job. So where do you want me to start? Wow. Well, where did you start? I mean, why did you even go into the military? Right. Let's start there. I was born into an active duty Navy family. My father was a pilot and a communications guy. So I was born in Pensacola, Florida, when he was at Navy pilot training, and then had the opportunity to go to preschool in Paris, France. Nice. Where I learned to speak fluent French and, you know, came home as a young kid. I don't know, I was probably, what, five years old or something. And I remember waving up at the Statue of Liberty, holding my mom's hand and thinking, wow, isn't she impressive and beautiful? I didn't know anything about America. That was kind of one of my early profound impressions about being from the United States of America, right? So then yes. we, continued, we continued to move every two to three years as is custom for active duty people and had the chance to develop a sense of belonging by living in Fairfax, Virginia for about seven years. And I, in the middle of my junior year, my dad came home and said, honey, I have orders to be a commander of a communication station. And I said, dad, you know, I'm 16 years old, just got my driver's license or close to it, right? Um, had my first boyfriend. I was a Girl Scout completing my gold award. I was on the swim team doing real well. I had all kinds of friends in my neighborhood and at school. You know, when you go into the school cafeteria and you're looking around, who am I going to sit with? That was super easy. Felt very included, you know. And I was a varsity cheerleader. And the word on the street was, you know, that there was a chance I could be the captain of the, you know, as a senior. I was like, Dan, no, no, we can't move now. Well, guess what? I decided that I, I would go and move with them. And so left a class of 400 in Fairfax, Virginia, and ended up graduating in a class of 30 on a military base from, uh, it was called Af Alfred T. Mahan High School in Keflavik, Iceland. Oh, my out, goodness. Out in the middle of the North Atlantic, out, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. So that was a wow. huge transition, made an impact on me in many ways, of course. And then I had the opportunity to go to college in Germany. And, you know, Air Force nursing was my first choice career. My parents paid for nursing school. So 
you know, it's very common for people who are born into military families to want to serve. As I understand it, upwards of 80% of the all-volunteer force come from military families. And that's, you know, no surprise because we are taught to love our country, to put the needs of the military, our country before ourselves. And you grow up around such, you know, military customs and courtesies, respect, patriotism. I mean, it just is part of your DNA. And so I, I joined because I love my country, but then there were other elements, Melissa, like, you know, the leadership emphasis. I knew that I was going to have reoccurring opportunities to test my leadership muscles, so to speak, and to develop as a leader. I knew that the military offered all kinds of educational opportunities. And so I wanted to take advantage of that, you know, inside and outside the military. Then, you know, People who join the all-volunteer force are values-based, highly diverse people. And having lived overseas about eight to 10 years, lived in Italy, Iceland, England, Germany, you know, I just love being around people that were different from me, experiencing different cultures. And so the opportunity to work alongside those folk inside the military was very stimulating to me. Of course, I wanted, I liked the idea of traveling. And last but not least, the opportunity to, you know, be physically fit. I love to exercise. I appreciated that external influence, you know, to make me, you know, do push-ups, do sit-ups and prepare for my physical fitness test because otherwise I probably wouldn't have done it, right? So there were a lot of reasons, but the primary one was that I wanted to serve my country. That, that's the why. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and it's, yeah, I would be the one that, needed probably that push to do the push-ups because I didn't take that route and I'm <laughs> feeling it now. <laughs> it, it, it's tough to have that internal discipline. So that external discipline, I think, really helps, you know? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So then, so then knowing that you went into the military and ended up retiring as a lieutenant colonel, I mean, how did you get to that level? within the military? Because we all know with so few women, you know, it's got to be challenging to kind of break some of those ceilings. When I was in, it was probably about 15% overall that were women. You know, I served 29 years, uh, joined in 1981, and I joined the nurse corps. So, you know, really the lion's share of people I worked around were women in nursing at that time. I mean, that certainly shifted a great deal. But you know, living by our core values, um, service before self, excellence and all that we do and integrity. I mean, I was just always that person who strived to do better, really got a lot of pride in my performance and, you know, doing my best to be an effective leader, just really doing what was expected of me and more, you know, and it's not just the task, it's how you do it. And so, you know, I, I was just one of those good workers who wanted to make a difference, frankly. And so I got promoted early because I joined a special program in the nurse corps. I went from lieutenant to captain in two years instead of four. And then every rank that I was eligible for, I met and was able to take. And what what was interesting about my career was that uh, I kind of got, you know, a I made lieutenant colonel fairly early in my career just based on where I was and my job performance. And then, frankly, I was a lieutenant colonel for 
14 of my 29 years. Wow. So I got promoted kind of early, if you will. But then my career management after that was was not ideal because, Melissa, I, I moved in the direction of what I thought my strengths were, my unique opportunity to contribute. And, uh, and then I joined the, the Guard, and it's very, very, very competitive to join the Guard, frankly, because most people have been in the same organizations all their career. You know, and I was a newcomer because of all the moving I did. I left active duty. And most of the people in the Guard were not on active duty. And then I, I didn't really position myself to compete for the jobs that would give me a real good chance for being promoted. I, I knew kind of what my internal gifts were. And I moved in that direction because that's where I felt I could really make a difference. Wow. Okay. So then in terms of your experience in the military, I mean, how would you say that your experience kind of influenced your approach to leadership? Well, a couple things. I knew that relationship, that leadership is based on trust and relationships. Mm -hmm. And those were always very important. And yet in the military, because of rank and hierarchy, um, sometimes the task can kind of trump the relationship, which is not good, but the demand on the workers are, is huge. And, you know, leaders have to make tough decisions. I believe that we as leaders need to be good role models and, you know, lead by example. So I think I did a good job with that for sure. And... You know, I worked hard to develop relationships, but it was challenging in that, frankly, I had a lot of workload as a newcomer and a lot of expectations placed on me. And then in particular, I'm thinking about my experience uh, in, a, in, in, in one of the guard units that I stayed for a long, long time. And then, you know, I worked around 85% men. And so, I mean, these are great guys, you know, doing great jobs, you know, mostly physicians and pilots, but you know, as a as a female, I was the senior ranking female and really the only officer on the base full time. And with the the gender sort of differences and the rank differences, you know, developing relationships is delicate. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. There's rules in the military about what we call fraternization. Enlisted and officers aren't supposed to be the necessarily the best of friends. I mean, certainly you're collegial, you're professional. Your great team play, your your great teammates, but it's not really encouraged for you to have relationships, you know, outside of of the organization. And so, you know, I, I really, you know, did my best to perform well, to be uh, collaborative, and you know, really not rely on rank um, because that's not the ideal approach. But you know, sometimes the job just needs to get done, and we need people to, you know, jump in and, you know. You know, we say salute, smart, and move forward, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just, you know, in taking care of your subordinates, uh, the people that work for you, uh, that's really an important element of uh, the military leadership mindset. Uh, we, we like to say that, you know, whether peacetime or wartime, I mean, you can get hit by a bus tomorrow peacetime and be gone, or wartime, worse, right? Yeah. And so you ha you have to prepare people on your team to, 
to do your job and to, you know, be transparent. I mean, that's a real important part of what we do and and we need to continue to do. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I love it. And there's so many, so many nuggets in there that are applicable to so many other areas, which is awesome. So then do you think that there are, are there other things you could suggest for women going into the military today? It's exciting, Melissa, because about 20% of all the recruits are now female. The VA is doing a great job trying to be sensitive to and do outreach to and provide programming for women who serve. I guess about 40% of the women who serve select enroll for benefits at the VA. So that's a pretty low number, and, and the VA is working on that and being very proactive in that space. So that's a good news story. I've had this conversation with a a few women and there's a podcast for anybody who might have a child or you as a listener, if you're considering joining, it's called, the podcast is called Women in the Military. Amanda Huffman interviews women from all different career fields and and she's written another book, Girls in the Military. I think I'm getting that title wrong, but she's, she's the author of two books, Amanda Huffman. So please check her out if you'd like to know more. But for me, if I were advising, say, a niece or uh, my daughter, I would say, by golly, go for it. Why? Because our country needs you, number one. Number two, because it's a great growth and leadership opportunity and social education, okay, because of the diversity. Yes. And, and, you know, be willing to, you know, potentially you know, take a little bit of a risk, you know, face your fears a little bit. You know, we, we need capable people to serve in these roles because even more so because really only three out of 10 American citizens are eligible to serve. So if you're eligible, that means you meet the weight, physical fitness requirements, score requirements, and you haven't been in trouble with the law. And so some of those really rule a lot of people out. I mean, in health, Health requirements, too, is really important. So go for it, but be be armed, be prepared with the knowledge that, you know, you need to have a, a strong self-esteem, that you need to have an understanding of, you know, what boundaries look like and what a slippery slope could be in, you know, in in relationships that, you know, could go could could not be in your best interest. OK, you need to be alert. You need to be aware. You need to, I mean, it's not like it's, you don't need to be overly vigilant, okay, but you need to be realistic, okay? Right. And and the other thing I like to share with people is that, you know, give give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You know, men and women, our, our roles, our relationships, the way we relate to each other is shifting over the last decade, really. You know, women's roles in the in the workplace are becoming more and more prevalent, and so, you know, give men the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, most guys are great guys. You know, most guys want us there. Uh, most guys take care of women in potentially, you know, uh, risky, risky situations. A lot of great people, a lot of great guys doing a lot of great things. And then also, you know, be responsible for your own behaviors. You know, when you start developing friendships with the opposite sex, just be aware of cues or messaging or 
you know, where you can get, you know, create misunderstandings that, you know, is this friendship or is it more? I mean, that's a delicate dance for, for the woman to navigate that. And then if it if it's going in a direction that is uncomfortable, you know, be prepared with your bold face. A pilot told me a bold face is it, interestingly, so pilots have on their leg a checklist that they use every time they prepare to take, you know, uh, take off or landing the plane. It, you know, it's, it's checklist driven so that you don't miss anything. And the things that are really important are in bold face type. So if you're in a sticky situation, an awkward situation, have your bold face line that you can say that will diffuse an awkward situation and give you and, and allow you to kind of leave with grace without being overly aggressive, without being, you know, just yucky. Do everything you can to preserve the relationship, but be prepared to know how to establish and reinforce boundaries. Uh, that's important. And, and do, a, do a damn good job. I'll just say it that way. Your yeah. job is to, your, your job, your reputation, your relationships, your credibility is based on how well you do your job and how well you contribute. So focus on doing a good job. It, it's interesting, Melissa, because after you're in a while, you really don't see gender. You know, you forget that you're the only female in the room. It, it's just not something that you think about. And one quick story, uh, I did a lot of community outreach at the guard base. I, I was the community relations manager. And so I was off base quite a bit, you know, meeting with the community. And I, one particular day, I went to a, a women's meeting and it was almost palpable. I, I think it'd been so long since I was surrounded by a group of women that when I approached these women, they were all dressed very nicely and you know, just it was just it just felt a lot softer. It felt warmer to me. Um, not that the military environment is cold. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, we're 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 a high and tight, you know, kind of operating machine, and um, and there's jokes and there's you know opportunities for you know um, friendliness. Don't get me wrong, but but I was just so excited to to be around women again I was like wow I need I need to do this more and so as I've separated I've I've, I've really worked harder and harder to uh, have more women friends because the biggest thing about being a woman in the military is that it can be kind of lonely it can be kind of lonely because if you can't yeah. really if, if you're the people that you can develop friendships with is pretty limited right I mean, the people that I had things in common were for people that were my rank or higher. And more often than not, Melissa, these women had husbands, had children. And, you know, in some cases, you know, they were part-time military, had a business. And so those were their priorities. It's just like any working mom who has to, who has to prioritize her business and her family above her social life. And that's, you know, really apropos for women who serve in the military. They have just very limited time. So, you know, you're kind of on your own socially, which, which is, which is kind of tough, but, you know, you just find support, you know, other places. I love it. I love it. And I know you were giving a shout out to Amanda Huffman and her book is called A Girl's Guide to Military Service. 
And then she has another book called Women of the Military. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. So, yes, we want to we want to celebrate women, uh, uh, anybody who's doing the work. So um, and, and what's exciting in this day and age is that, you know, um, when more and more jobs, if not every job is open to women in the military. That's a success story. And when I speak to, you know, like one of my superiors, my boss in the army, because I worked for the army for about 10 years, she was like, yeah, this is what we need because the only way you can get promoted in the military is to have had these experiences leading in different roles, right? Yes. And so so that creates advancement opportunities for women that that really weren't there, be- there before. And, you know, women, uh, you know, you think, oh, man, can she be brave on the battlefield? You know, can she lead men? The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely. I mean, the bravery, the bravery that women have demonstrated in the battlefield you know, brings tears to your eyes. And I always tell stories about my husband, who was a queer active army soldier with four combat tours. And he would say some of the finest leaders that he worked for were women. And, you know, in his case, if someone was potentially being disrespectful inside the military or outside the military, you know, he would stand up. There was one story where he was in Iraq and the woman was in charge And the woman was trying to develop relationships with the locals, with an Iraqi, I believe it was. And the Iraqi, you know, the the, the treatment and the the belief in in women's roles in third world countries is very different. Very different, yeah. And so so they went to my husband, who was, you know, one of the, you know, senior ranking males in the environment and said, nope, she's in charge, Right. And so that kind of support, I think we can expect. Um, There's some challenges, certainly. Uh, We can talk about that if you want, but it's really overall a good news story. More roles coming to be, more ceilings being shattered, more and more. I mean, like there's the first female leader of the Coast Guard. You know, we have our, you know, recently the the first female Blue Angel pilot. I mean, and it, it yeah. goes on and on. I mean, it's really exciting times yeah. for women in the military and kind of the last bastion, you know, in, in our profession when 50% or more of women are graduating from medical school, 50% or more are graduating from law school. And we're still at 20%, you know, recruits in the military. But like, as I understand it, at the Air Force Academy, about 30% of cadets are female. So it's it's slowly happening, and you know, with people like Amanda, you know, you know, really educating women, and you asking these questions of people like me. I hope that you know more and more women will do it because it's in your best interest. More importantly, it's in our country's best interest to have our best and brightest serving in the armed forces. Absolutely, I love it. This is great. I mean, it's always strange to me when we are just talking about firsts. And we're in 2023, you know, and we're still talking Mm. about the first time you have a woman blue angel or, you know, it's it's amazing that it would take this long that we would just be hitting firsts. So, but but you think about it in our lifetime. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, this is pretty personal, but my, my mother was, was not happy in her marriage. Okay. But she never worked. And if I remember correctly, women in her day and age couldn't even 
get a credit card or, yeah. you know, get a mortgage, you know, in our lifetime, Melissa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so she was, she was kind of stuck, you know, based on her and, and, and oh, by the way, a, a military wife, it was difficult for a military wife to work. And in, in her day, you went to college to get an MRS degree, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, think about that. I'm 60 years old, but in 60 years, we went from, okay, women can go to school to get an MRS degree. And now 50% of women are getting law degrees or MD degrees. I mean, yeah. 60, 60 years. Okay? Yeah. So, you know, as you know, being a DEI expert, change is super slow. But it's a it great is. it's a great time to be a woman in America. It's a great time to be a woman in the military. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. I want to shift because I know with all of the work you've done in the military, even as a military family member, a spouse, et cetera, you are a significant champion for veterans and you are doing so much in the community. So I want to just have you talk a little bit about Vanguard Veteran and some of the initiatives that you have going on to really help the military and their families. Because it's so amazing. Well, I appreciate that. So the mission of Vanguard Veteran is to equip civilians to become veteran champions. People who have never served. People who don't understand military culture. There is such a gap in our society. We call it the military-civilian divide. I wrote the book, Beyond Thank You for Your Service, the Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians, to give people some practical strategies, some practical actions that you can take from wherever you are in in your community. Be you an employer, a lawyer, a doctor, behavioral health provider, an educator, community leader, or someone who is a leader in our faith communities. The book is chock full of practical suggestions It's available on Amazon. I hope you will get it and figure out how you can do more to build mutually beneficial activities and services in ways that promote quality of life, workforce, and community. So Vanguard Veteran has zeroed in on improving workforce and community by helping civilian employers excel with veteran hiring and retention. Because research shows the Society of Human Resource Management, one of the leading, the leading HR profession in the country, says their survey of employers reports that 68% of employers find that veterans are better than, if not much better than, their civilian counterparts. And 60% of those, 60% of employers, a different study, say that veterans stay longer than their non-veteran counterparts. So I work hard to help employers understand military culture, how to interview, how to onboard and retain and build brand ambassadors in the community that will leverage their um, military-friendly, if not veteran-ready brand. Then the other 
piece that's really that I'm real passionate about is equipping volunteer faith community leaders to build military ministries inside their congregation in partnership with clergy. Melissa, this is a way for military-connected people to gather, to bond, to find ways to support each other through um, practical things, helping somebody move, helping them through a deployment, attending a 70-year parents anniversary party, you know, just having friends and, you know, helping each other like friends would, fostering a sense of belonging, because when we leave our uniform behind, oftentimes we feel very lost, we've lost our identity, and we need to belong to a a group that understands military, military mindset. And then we work hard to, to promote spiritual resiliency through prayer. Now, you don't have to be a pastor, a nurse, really even a veteran or counselor to do this. You just need to care about military, have a strong faith, and uh, have some leadership skills. I offer a, a, a monthly coaching call the first Sunday of every month to equip volunteer leaders to, to do this, and I, and I stay alongside you to help you make decisions. So that's one way to learn about it. My website is vanguardveteran.com. And, and if you're an employer, I'd like to offer you some show notes, Melissa, to put a veteran-ready assessment in there. And would also love an opportunity to do an introductory call to to see how or if I may come alongside you and help you distinguish your company as veteran friendly and move towards developing a veteran talent acquisition and retention strategy. So I love there it. you have it. There you have it. That's awesome. I will definitely take those notes and would love to put them in the description so people know that they can not only access you, but really access the all that you're doing. It's absolutely fantastic. We so. have a, we as a, we as a nation have a lot of work to do. I think this is a we do uh, when uh, the book features mostly Ohioans who have done this work. When I was the director of community outreach for the Ohio National Guard, we built a statewide outreach program to educate and engage civilians in support of troops and their families, and we did this in response to 9/11. And so I saw firsthand, you know, how much satisfaction and uh, if not joy, honestly, you know, our, our citizens feel when they're like, oh, yeah, now I know what to do. Yeah. Well, I want to help more. But, you know, I feel awkward. I don't know how to do it, you know. And, and so, you know, if, if, you give, if you give people an idea and you encourage them, you inspire them, you, you thank them. I mean, just think of the goodness that can be that can happen instead of us staying in our silos. Yes, and, and not reaching out to each other, and not not building those trusting relationships uh, for those who have sacrificed so much for us. You know, there's just a lot more work to be done by each and every one of us. And so I want to, you know, yeah. I want to I want to move the veteran champion movement and invite people to be a part of the win. Well, and I love it. I you know because we can learn so much. I think a lot of times people think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we think about ethnicity so often. Right. Right. But, you know, it's the same silos you have with, you yep. know, whether it be military or gender or, you know, we're very complex people. <laughs> so we're not necessarily one thing. It, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, minorities and other subgroups getting, you know, some some additional sensitivity, if you will. But, you know, the military is one of the most diverse groups yeah. of people in terms of thought 
And, you know, there's uh, people from all walks of life, you know, economic backgrounds and, you know, most ethnicities represented, most religions represented. And so uh, if you're in the workplace, get to know, get to know those people who have served, be an active listener, ask them how you can help and follow through for pity's sakes, follow through. Right. I love it. And then, and then give them an opportunity to shape the goodness in your workforce, you know, empower them, let them, let them uh, hear their voice and let them contribute. They, they have a lot to contribute. You just have to ask. So I'm going to ask you one final kind of hard question with respect to being a veteran and, you know, it obviously influencing your perspective when it comes to current events, you know, particularly in regards to like things like national defense and global affairs how does that shape your thought process? Because I think, you know, being in the military, I feel like you come with a, a different perspective when you're talking about, you know, fighting for freedom and and all the different jobs that exist in the military. And then to come and watch our government at work or sometimes not work. How does that shape your perspective in terms of the commander-in-chief providing direction, but in some cases, you know, we can't actually get things done. Wow, that's a big question. Several things come up for me, okay? The first thing is to understand and appreciate that when we join the military, we take an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, okay? And that with that comes to follow orders and respect the commander in chief, pure and simple. We are the arms and legs of our national security strategy. Whether or not you support the political positions the military member chooses, it's an all volunteer force, to do their part to do what the country our decision makers, our political decision makers decide we should do. Is that, can that be tough? Heck yeah. Holy cow. Okay. The other thing that came up for me when you were talking was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, the impact that makes on those who have served and lost people through that forever war and to feel like, was it worth it? Why did my buddies die? And, you know, how do you heal from seemingly, well, we had a purpose, we had a vision, and then we just, you know, folded, you know, very quickly. Um, So my concern more so about, more so than political decision makers and how those decisions are made, which, you know, I have no ability to influence whatsoever. My concern is how are we taking care of those military members who are affected by that psychologically. And therein is another important reason why civilian veteran champions are even more important to go out and befriend, you know, anybody who served in particular, you know, combat veterans and slowly develop trust, slowly become a a confidant, slowly, um, you know, do your best to, to try to support them. I mean, I, I recently attended a play called Last Out, an Elegy of a Green Beret. Scott Mann, who was in the Afghanistan conflict as a special forces 
he tells the story about uh, a lot of the trauma, about the stressors on families, about, you know, how uh, Gary Sinise sort of compared, because the, the Gary Sinise Foundation sponsored this film. Uh, Gary Sinise sort of contrasted sort of how we left Vietnam and how mm-hmm. our Vietnam veterans fared after that to how we left Afghanistan. And I think our Afghanistan and Iraq warriors are being treated 100% better. But, but Melissa, you're asking about the aftermath and yeah. the, the aftershocks that our military members experience. And it is very real. It is serious. It is tough. And um, it is tragic. It is, it yeah. is tragic. I wish we had a better decision-making process, um, but, you know, national security politics is a brutal and fierce animal that, you know, comes off the rails and, you know, it is what it is, you know. Um, yeah. We still live in the greatest country on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, despite the, uh, the, the failures of democracy. And um, so, I don't know, there you have it. How's, how's that? <laughs> That's awesome. I just, you know, it's like one of those questions where, you know, you want to ask. Yeah. But you never know how people think about it. And it's I mean, I know it's frustrating for me. I can't imagine. Right. You know, um, and and I I, I love the fact that you, you know, ask that sort of in a public forum. um, But it demonstrates that, you know, those are the kinds of questions once you get to know and you have a level of trust with a veteran coworker, with a, a veteran in your community, with a veteran in your, in your place of worship, you know, after you've sat down with them, you know, for coffee for a couple of times, I mean, they would love, I believe they would love to share that perspective with you, you know, assuming that you are a good active listener, that you're sincere in, you know, really wanting to develop that relationship, that you invested a little bit of time and energy in, in that person and, and you're open, being open to, you know, perspectives that, that may be different from yours. I mean, I mean, you can see yep. that um, I have passion when I answer that, <laughs> right? Well, absolutely. And, and I'm not even a combat veteran, but I really feel for those. I mean, it's yeah. really hard for people who have lost people to this. And, you know, that's not a question you ask in the first conversation. That's a question you ask in the third or fourth or fifth conversation when you kind of have that that gut feeling of, okay, you know, I think we could handle this topic fine. And, and more importantly, that you could hear the response yes, without yeah. getting freaked out and, and, and um, you know, receive it with an open heart and an open mind and really listen to that person's perspective. Because um, my instinct is they would love nothing more than to share some of that to a, a good listening ear. Yeah, I love it. This is why I love the work that you do, because it's it's just phenomenal Different. Um, in helping civilians, really. Right. I mean, well, that's the whole point. Even understand, like, what is going on in people's heads. You know, we, um, we, we Americans think we have all the answers, typically. Okay, I'm going to get on my soapbox a minute, right? And we forget to listen actively, learn from people who are different from us, okay? yes. And we tend to group ourselves with people who are like us. I mean, that's just yeah. the, the nature of the beast, right? And that's why DE and I is so dang important, right? Yeah. But the only way we're going to knock down those walls, if you so to speak, is to open yourself up. You know, I love I love le- learning from people who are different from me. But that comes from eight to ten years of living overseas, 
being a minority in my workplace, my entire career, you know, I know that I'm different and I know, and I love hearing about other people's difference. And to me, that's what makes the world go round. You know, when we learn from each other and we accept each other and we, you know, choose to educate ourselves as best we can, because at the end of the day, that's really where the, the magic and the beauty is. And so please, please, if you're listening to this, go out and identify male and female veterans and develop relationships slowly and build trust and follow through uh, when you ask how you can support them, follow through and do it. They will really be grateful for that, that level of attention and friendship. Yes, indeed. Well, and I just want to thank all, uh, any veterans, anybody in the military who's listening, as well as the civilians, but really, I want to, I do want to just thank all of those that do put on the uniform because I think there's probably no better thanks we can give. There's nothing we could say that could thank them for the work that they continue to do all you, around the world. But thank you for saying that. But through your actions, yeah, you show your appreciation. And if I may, in closing, offer one final tip. Please. And that, and that is, Something you might consider saying instead of thank you for your service, you might offer thank you for wearing the uniform. Yes. Because when you say that, that indicates some level of understanding on your part that wearing that uniform to those of us who volunteer to wear the uniform, it means pride in our country. It means sacrifice. It means respect. It means just, I mean, it's just a, such a big part of our identity. It's a, it, it, yeah. it means our values, our ethos, you know, I mean, and we don't expect a civilian to understand all that necessarily, but, you know, most people really respect the uniform and the people who are wearing it. And so when you say, thank you for choosing to wear the uniform, they're like, oh, wow, they do kind of get it. You know, it's, it, to me, it's a very, yeah, uh, a very sincere comment that, that gets people's attention and they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I do love wearing this uniform. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I love it. And those are I mean, there's so many more tools, tips and, and education that you provide in your book um, that I know people will appreciate. So thank you for all you're doing and, you know, just continue to do what you're doing and anything we can do to support. Um, we are happy to do. Thank so you. I look forward to continuing our relationship Great. and um, making sure that, you know, we have the opportunity to really tap into your wisdom specifically. Thank with, you. Anytime, you know, Melissa. Yeah, I, I love it. Let's, let's do this again, you know, when you have another topic that uh, makes sense. And thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So with that, we are going to sign off and um, I hope all of you will definitely buy her book. So again, Lieutenant Colonel Kathy Lowry Gallowitz, and she has a book called Beyond Thank You for Your Service. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.